in being a mentor is it happens slowly, it's dangerous, it's messy, it's dirty, and you make a lot of mistakes. They would learn. You could view it as a mistake or you could view it as a step. It is just a step. If that didn't work, what's next? So that would be a phenomenal legacy. Seniors to seniors, whether a senior in college or senior in your mature years, the common denominators of every stage of life is explored as host Robert J. LaCosta interviews seniors about how they got to where they are and how they are continuing to crush it in their mature years. LaCosta is known as the senior editor because he has interviewed seniors for the past three decades and is perhaps the longest running writer in this narrowest of niches. This podcast affords him the opportunity to pass along the same sagely wisdom that he has received from elders and has admired during his 30s, 40s, 50s, and now. LaCosta is a board-certified hearing instrument specialist who has helped over 10,000 seniors overcome hearing impairment. He draws deeply from the intimacy and privilege of those relationships. And now, it's time for The Age Sage. Your host, Robert LaCosta, here with Jack Harlow. We are up in East Bern, New York, God's country. Which is up a couple hours north of Manhattan, give or take a few. But we are in God's country, and I am looking outside at the beautiful rolling hills just southwest of Albany. Exactly, 25 miles. So, Jack, we're not going to waste any time. I've talked to you now just a little while, but enough to know that you're an inventor and a mentor. I would love... You're the inventor mentor. I would really love to be more of a mentor than I already am an inventor, so I'd like to transfer my inventor skills. Well, I'll tell you what. Take us down the path of post-retirement. How many years have you been retired from that nine-to-five job? How long have I been? Maybe 12 years. Okay. And what would you say is the major difference? Because you're the same man you were when you walked out the door with the golden parachute. (laughs) What's the difference between when you were working and the moment you stepped out? I have more time. Time is crucial. Everything that I do requires time. And when you're working, you have less time. So with the freedom of not working, I embarked on a lot of new projects, which uh, pretty much I've accomplished. Tell us about before you retired, and you can make it quick, what you did Uh, and what some of your orientations were as you climbed your ladder or went through your career. I started at the Knowles Atomic Power Lab in Niskayuna, New York in 74. Which is the backyard of Thomas Edison. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Basically, I worked as an engineer at that time for Admiral Rickover, working on nuclear submarine power plants, destroyer aircraft carrier, doing basically work on the fuel system, the, the actual reactor, technical, theoretical work. From that point, In 30 years, I evolved to having my own laboratory where my responsibility was inventing things, which was like a gift. (laughs) Like a kid in a candy store. And uh, then I invented things for, I don't know, 10 
maybe eight years, I actually came up with a concept that was adopted by the nuclear Navy, and they spent like $20 million on the idea, and uh, it's still in play, and that made me really proud to have that much money spent on my idea. When I retired, I left my laboratory, which we called the Skunk Quirks, not works, quirks. (laughs) And then I came home and basically did the same thing, but to a different goal. And now how old are you now? I am almost an octi, an octopus. Yeah, there you go. You've lived through eight decades. Yes. And would you say that these last 12 years, so say, let's round it off to your last decade of life, has been as rewarding as some of the other decades? I mean, you can never, I mean, when you have children's young college, young love, height of your career, every decade has its own definition, but would you say this last decade has been as rewarding as any of those? My first decades at work, which was three decades, I basically generated and raised a family of whom everyone of which is doing really good. So that's the major accomplishment of my wife and my life. She's probably fundamentally the best part of that three decades of generating and raising children. After I left the Knowles, I got to come home and have ideas that I basically made real on my own by myself. And uh, of course, that's rewarding because I have an idea and I I make it. (laughs) There's no way someone as creative as you in the mechanical engineering and just in general inventing field could ever accomplish or complete all the different ideas that are probably filed away in your brain or on a computer or nope. in an old steel metal filing cabinet, you'll never get them done before you die. So how do you, having that gift of time for retirement, decide what you're going to do next? Because you probably have more in store than you have time to do. I stumble. I go, it's almost ADHD. I stumble from project to project, usually working st- simultaneously yes. a couple projects at a yes, time? Yes, yeah. always. I know that routine. <laughs> it, it, it drives me crazy, but uh, it'll be most of what I do, I spend hours thinking about and doing it all, building it inside my head. Then I go outside and build it with tools from the inside of my head. I rarely draw anything. Take us, now that you've said, you know, you're really formative years of your marriage and family are some of the most rewarding. But what about the last decade or so since you've been retired? Uh, Two things. Were there any surprises about this gift of time? But also, has it been as rewarding as when you were working as an engineer for Knowles Atomic Lab? Absolutely. Why? Um, It's difficult to explain, but the nuclear Navy is very conservative, and rightfully so, because they're dealing with atomic energy, and it is capable of being very, very dangerous very, very quickly. Uh, So rightfully so, they are very conservative. I tend to be less conservative, so... You're, you like expansive. At, at, at work, I am restrained. <laughs> at home, I am unrestrained. Well, if anybody is going to see the photographs, which we'll publish, they'll see how unrestrained you are. <laughs> Everything from 
a, a couple story barn that is just gorgeous, filled with more tools than anything I've ever seen, to the outdoors here where you have these beautiful sculptures and design projects. So let's go back, stay on track here. So this last decade has been rewarding in the sense that as a mature inventor, you can kind of pick and choose with projects. Absolutely. And as a mature inventor, you mentioned things swirling around in your head. You, you spend time thinking about them. What would you say is the difference between a guy like you in his 70s as an inventor and a younger inventor having the constraints of a job? Are there is there more room in your head because you have time and you're, you're not necessarily being pinned in by a boss or a deadline? What's the difference between that 70-plus-year-old inventor and that young inventor in a laboratory that has those constraints? Primarily responsibility. The golden gloves of paying for homes and children getting educated and fed and all of that. Yeah. I don't have that problem anymore. But what about the actual laboratory? Let's go into the laboratory and then well, let's go the into the younger your barn. people today with the proper resources are doing phenomenal things. I am a consumer of the Make magazine, which documents the concepts that children are working on right now. And the children are not just children, they're young adults. But if you could go back in time to being a young inventor versus an older inventor, we're not talking about, you know, a $10 million budget versus scrapyard stuff in your barn. What's the difference between a mature inventor like yourself and when, say, you were in your 30s? Between when I was in my 30s? Yeah. And I'm not just talking about time. So if a if an inventor has more time to think things up and resources yeah. and skills. <laughs> yeah. It's it's like a lot of times different people will have great ideas but they cannot consummate them either they don't have the resource or the skill. I was I got a golden egg dropped on me when I was born mm-hmm. and I just came out with skill. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've never really not been able to do whatever it is that I wanted to do, despite the fact that I managed to decimate my appendages. <laughs> and well, well it, because people might be listening and not <laughs> viewing this, although we might get some photographs online, why don't you explain that? Well, when I was quite young, I became, I learned a lot about explosives. And, uh, when I turned... Like the, most boys. Huh? Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> you know, firecrackers, cherry bombs, M80s. But I researched through the encyclopedia and found out how the powders were made. Mm-hmm. And I then subsequently made my own explosives. And, well, we in Montana would take them and I waterproofed them and we would throw them in irrigation ditches. And they were... Explode, they would explode and shoot geysers of water 20, 30 feet up in the air. That was really cool (laughs) for a kid. Unfortunately, one of the explosives went off in my hand. As you were, as you know, I was, you didn't need to get to that point. I was with a girlfriend Mm -hmm. in a car Mm -hmm. and I. Manip- well, I removed the top of the explosive and I put it back on. And because of the capability of this ter- particular explosive to ignite from friction, it did. From the 
friction the, of putting the cap back on. Not because there was anything necessarily wrong with putting a cap on. It was that the was friction just fiddling spark. And when I fiddled, it exploded. At that time, I lost my right hand and two fingers from my left. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone else in the car was okay. My girlfriend got a piece of shrapnel in her leg, mm-hmm. but it did not result mm-hmm. in permanent damage. The doctor in Montana, Billings, was an excellent surgeon. Mm-hmm. And I was gifted by him putting me back together as a functional individual. Mm-hmm. And even though I have only three fingers left, mm-hmm. he was able to manipulate the muscles in my hand so that I could have an opposing thumb, mm-hmm. which is what separates us from monkeys, mm-hmm. is monkeys do not have opposing thumbs. So they don't have the ability to bring their thumb over and pinch. I do, which is a gift that I almost removed by my irresponsible youth activities. Yep. So that was now. How did we get fifteen? How did we get on that subject? I don't know. You asked me to tell the story. You're saying something that (laughs) drew that to mind. It's skills, resources, and time for the younger engineers. Frequently, they do not have the resources or the time. Sometimes they have a heck of a lot of wonderful skills, and it's it's a again it's a gift, and they frequently can put it together, but not as fully mm-hmm. as if you don't have a job yeah and uh no job lots of time skill resource boom i i think there's just something to be said and we'll get off the uh, maybe get on to some specific uh things that you've done in, in your post-retirement years but when you meld experience with your gift whatever that gift is if you're a writer a musician a politician an inventor when you take experience with a natural gift something that you were born with so you had it when you were two years old i did now you have it at almost 80 what happens what ignites when that gift is met with the kind of experience you have and the time to kind of almost like uh grow your gift in a in a time laboratory the utilization of the skill and the resources takes an idea in my head and makes it real so i when you see a sculpture it was at one time an idea but i was able to machine weld and do all of the functional things which you gain from experience some some of it you're winging it i guess because I, each project is new so there's some winging but you still are building your winging on from experience everything that i really know skill wise came from screwing up <laughs> that's kind of the inventor's mantra it, i guarantee you success made a failure awful lot of mistakes but they didn't stop me and luckily they didn't injure me so you just keep trucking away and pretty soon you don't make those mistakes anymore and you're able to do things without making mistakes and now, they become let's, let's go into what some of the sort of experiments that you have been able to do you have these things going on in your head wouldn't it be great if let's go back to your barn and see uh, tell me about like the cannons uh, uh, say the last couple of years where did this come from where did 
these ideas if I could from tell miniature you, I would cannons <laughs> come from? And then you take them out. You're repurposing everything in this great big barn behind your house into a finished product out of a repurposed or kind of recycled piece of brass or whatever. Tell, tell us about two or three things, and then I want to turn a corner. So just tell me about two or three projects that you did over there that were kind of rewarding that you took from nothing and made into something. Well, the, the cannon that's made out of an oxygen cylinder primarily was motivated because I wanted to do something that was utilizing the steampunk motif and that basically is from 20,000 leagues under the sea Jules Verne and the steampunk society makes things that are really weird out of brass so i basically lucked into buying at a garage sale the frame of a cannon that was imported in the early 1900s into the United States. And I said, well, I could do the following things, make a cannon and dress it up with a lot of cool brass stuff and make it function by using an explosive gas minimized in volume in the oxygen cylinder with the end cut off. And that evolved into the cannon. And uh, it was just a, a progression of something starting from the desire to make something in the steampunk motif. Now, you also have, I guess the best way to describe it, and again, this could be online with pictures, is it looks like 12 trumpets. Um, oh, that's the Gatling gun. <laughs> blow, blowing the return of Christ. So uh, you have, I believe, a, a vent. You have a board from your son-in-law's house. You have, tell, just tell us some of the things that you put into that, the all repurposed. Well, the, the Gatling gun started because I wanted to make a Gatling gun. I did not want to shoot bullets because that becomes ultimately very dangerous and, and death dealing. And I didn't want to deal, I just like to have things that go bang. So I was in Kingston, New York at P&T Surplus, and he had for sale a bunch of brass tubes. And I said, wow, those look like Gatling gun barrels. And from that point, I bought them and converted them using a lot of brass that I purchased from a scrapyard into a Gatling gun. And the Gatling gun has 10 barrels and is powered again by an explosive gas. It just makes bangs. And when it spins in circles, it has uh, 10 different spark plugs. 10 different plugs in chambers. And a Model T Ford coil that provides the electricity to fire the spark plug. And so as it rotates, each spark plug comes into contact with that electricity, sparks, ignites the gas inside the chamber, and the chamber makes a bang. And it goes through the barrel and comes out and boom, 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 boom. And uh, now if, why did I make it? I don't know. <laughs> if someone were to meet you, uh, they, they would see uh, a near 80-year-old man. They wouldn't know what's between your ears, <laughs> that you have all this experience in a Which I would love lab. to transfer. And that's where we're headed on this conversation. 
there is a desire in most people to leave a legacy or something behind, whether that's just in a family line. Uh, we see every president wanting to leave a legacy through their uh, presidential libraries. But you have a desire, which, again, is, I believe, comes out of your creative mindset that if only I could take these ideas and put them into a sculpture or put them into a, a gun or a cannon or something else, wouldn't it be great if, well, wouldn't it be great if I could pass on all these things into another person? a child, a teenager, a grandchild, maybe a high school student. But it's almost the same thing as inventing, except it's almost like reinventing. You're reinventing yourself in another person. It's it, a transference. It's a, it's a creative process. It's almost like, as we said, the inventor-mentor or the mentor-inventor, except now we're dealing with, instead of an inanimate object, we're dealing with another mind. That could be equally or greater amount of creativity. We have to separate two things, the idea and two, three things, idea, resource, and skill. Implicit to all that is time. But I don't necessarily want to convey my ideas. I would love to give my children and grandchildren all of the resources that I've acquired. That's easy. That's just junk. But it's good junk. Material. It's a skill. And the skill can only come from interest. And if there is an interest, those skills can be readily transferred from me to them by activity which means they have to want to build something. And then if I'm careful and I don't injure any of my grandchildren or children, I can pass those skills on. I'm not concerned about the ideas. The ideas are fairly easy. Resources, just junk money, which is ubiquitous usually. But the skill is something that it's, 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 it comes from activity. It comes from making mistakes and lots of them. But it's the foundation of that activity is the desire to do it. And I'm looking at my children for that desire. And I found it. One of my sons is an excellent builder. I mean, a really good builder. One of my sons is a super duper computer expert. He's currently designing the software for Waymo and working for the CEO of Waymo directly. And so that's something to really be proud of. You know, each one of my children has a certain desire to do something. A lawyer, you know, mm -hmm. builder, financial person, computer guy. Mm -hmm. But I've never yet bumped into anybody that wants to come and let me teach them how to use the lathe or the milling machine. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm waiting, mm -hmm. and I'll wait until I die. <laughs> yeah. But you did say that um, one of your grandchildren or somebody has actual uh, an interest, and they've been palling around with you a little bit out there? Yes, yes. What but he's too young right now. <laughs> oh, okay. So um, as, as uh, people... Howl around. You said something interesting about really successes being built out of mistakes or experimentation. That's that's what basically you do. If a child or uh, someone you were mentoring was kind of 
following you around, say over a couple months period, you, you picked the project and you were muddling your way toward it because it's if in they your don't, head. If they don't get bored because I do muddle. <laughs> but so you muddle and then you make some mistakes and that, that, did, that didn't work. Maybe let's try this. You mentioned the baseball bat versus a pool stick you, using that on one of your things. So the pool stick was not strong enough. It broke. So you emigrated to the baseball field. <laughs> so stuff like that is what they would learn from you. They would learn that it's you could that, view it as a mistake or you could view it as a step. It just it is just a step. If that didn't work, what's next? <laughs> so that would be a phenomenal legacy. I I agree because that's not just indicative of the labor uh, field of science or a laboratory that that could be applied to any part of their life yes absolutely and my son who is the good builder he's the one that worked with me when we we he and i built the barn and i can assure you that in that process we made mistakes and he learned and he you know took those lessons life lessons, mistakes, go back and do something different. He took them into his heart and he applies them. He is really good at building. Do you think that was one of the the most formative times for him as a builder? Absolutely. How old was he? How old was he when you... uh, We started building when he was uh, like eight. You started built. Uh, we built the clubhouse together. Oh, oh, okay, right. We, I mean, he worked. He hammered nails. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So now that, um, as we kind of wrap up here, that brings to mind the very question of of time, because the way most children spend their time today is sort of rapid fire, no pun intended, video games or something to do with the computer and life moves very fast for the youth when you're inventing and manipulating matter that takes time dangerous time so there's there could be a little bit of generation gap between what you're talking about and the youth culture i mean they would literally have to slow down to pal around with you not their mind necessarily (laughs) but their actions in other words an experiment takes time yes and there's there's a pace to it and there's steps to it it's frustrating so it's not the same as just playing a video game oh it ends i'll start another video game i agree and that is one of the most difficult challenges that i have in being a mentor is it happens slowly it's dangerous it's messy it's dirty and you make a lot of mistakes and that doesn't fit with being able to take a computer and generate a two-dimensional picture of something it's one more step for it to become a three-dimensional thing and luckily a lot of things are happening now with 3D printers, and uh, that is a benefit. It doesn't occur with the kind of materials that I favor. <laughs> well, I, I have to say that, um, first of all, it's been fascinating talking to you and a, and a privilege. Uh, 
But secondly, I have to say that the move toward virtual reality, I just heard of somebody spending, say, 36 hours straight in virtual reality. I've been on it. Horrible. So that became his reality, which is not a reality. So there's some sort of paradox going on here. And we're talking about mistakes, slowing down, starting over. That just doesn't fit with this perfect world of a video game, you mess up, start all over, just like that. You snap your finger, you start all over. It's all repaired and all off again. Immediately. There's a great chasm here. It's almost a religious concept, which I believe, and I'm not good at this, but Christ, I believe, said something of the order of the meek will inherit the earth. Somebody said that. It's different now. I think maybe it's the people that do things will inherit the earth. <laughs> well, you know, this is a great uh, uh, great segue with the grandfather clock ringing in the background because, in a way, we're talking about being a grandfather, a mentor, time, passing things down. So that's a, that's a nice uh, prop you got there, that grandfather clock. Jack, it's been great talking to you. Well, we, we're gonna, my pleasure. We're going to do this again. And we may be able to actually show our listeners instead of tell, because people need to see what the kind of things you're doing, that there is a place for the creative mind. But one thing we discover again and again as we do the Retiring Retirement podcast is that there are just no age limitations to creativity. And in fact, creativity may expand because uh, the creative mind gobbles up time. Time is like one of the most valuable things for the creative time. mind. When a person's pinched, yeah, they can do things under deadline. And I've been a writer for many years, so I could get things accomplished under a deadline. But there really is something when you're starting, you're not reporting on something, you're creating something that was not. And time has a great benefit to that. And I would say, as an older inventor, you're, you're proving that as you go on, in life, there's more potential for the elder inventor than possibly even the younger inventor with all the bells and whistles and big budget they have. So I appreciate you being with us. Oh, thank you. It's, uh, it's been my pleasure. And if you had one kind of 25 words or less to sum up to somebody else out there that's listening that wants to pass on their skills or their heart, whatever it is, uh, to the next generation, whether it be a family member or somebody in their church, community, library, whatever, what would you say to those? Don't let a mistake stop you. <laughs> so there you go. All right. This is Robert LaCosta. We're so glad you joined us. 